Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, presented by Krauss Health, the exclusive healthcare partner of Syracuse Athletics. Welcome back to another edition of the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. And this is going to be a fun one today, folks. I'm going to break down the Atlantic Coast Conference with Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Uh, Brendan is based in the Triangle area, the Carolinas, so he know, he knows up close all the four uh, Carolina teams. He you know his he knows all the the bricks on Tobacco Road. Uh, so uh, we're we're just going to talk a little bit about the league before the college basketball season begins here in a few days. So Brendan, welcome to the podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. It's it's crazy to believe that it's you know less than a week out now. I'm very excited, but uh, it feels like it just snuck up on us. Isn't that weird? We wait all summer, and it feels like it's going to be forever for basketball, and then all of a sudden it's upon you. So, I'm not complaining. I'm sure you're not either. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you know, the, covering the games is the fun part of our jobs. Uh, another fun part of our jobs is to speculate on what's going to happen, and then look like <laughs> fools in a few, few months. So let's. Let's get about the business of looking like fools in a few months, okay? The prediction business always does that. I'm ready. All right. I think the commonly held belief going into this season is that Duke is far and away the favorite in the league. Do you hold to that belief? And who are the other teams that you think can challenge the Blue Devils? Yeah, I think just on paper, surely Duke makes the most sense as the preseason favorite. You look at, you've got four starters back from last year, which is unheard of continuity at Duke, uh, especially in the last decade. But you also have the nation's number two recruiting class come in. And and the difference this year compared to past years is maybe only one of those guys is starting. And it's not inconceivable that not every single one of those five-star freshmen is even playing. So it's a completely different sort of, uh, level of continuity John Shire had. It's almost unthinkable that Duke is going to have five-star freshmen and maybe not even need them. Um, but when you talk about the experience this team has, the top-end talent, obviously Kyle Filipowski is the ACC preseason player of the year, was the ACC rookie of the year last year, uh, a guy who has all-American potential if all breaks the right way. You've got experience off the bench, and Ryan Young, Jeremy Roach has been to a Final Four. You kind of have all of the classic ingredients of a national title contender. So I, I do think that at least on paper, Duke makes the most sense as the prohibitive favorite. You know, for the past few years now, we've talked about the ACC being down relatively, right? So I, the league needs Duke to be good, but they also need some other teams to be good. So who are the teams that have that potential? 
Yeah, I think you, the conversation starts with the other teams who are ranked in the top 25 in the preseason. So Miami and North Carolina. And obviously, uh, it doesn't matter what Miami seems to do in the postseason. They still don't get any respect. Um, you know, as it was really funny at ACC Media Day, North Carolina went immediately before Miami. Everybody was in there talking to North Carolina. And when the Final Four team comes in, everybody clears out of the room. Jim Laranig is like, see you, don't let the door hit you. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that Miami, even losing Isaiah Wong, who was the ACC player of the year last year, losing Jordan Miller, who was sort of a do-everything wing for them, I think that the Hurricanes still have the potential to make things interesting with Duke. For one, they've had Duke's number the last few years. For two, you're still bringing back Nigel Pack, who increased all of his scoring and, and shooting averages from the regular season to the NCAA tournament. Now he should have the ball in his hands a little bit more. You still have Norchad Omier. Uh, and a guy who I think maybe is probably getting slept on, and if we were doing this podcast end of the year, we'd be talking about, is Wuga Poplar. I mean, I think there's a chance that he has sort of a breakout sort of role. So I think Miami is one, and then North Carolina brings back Armando Baycott again. Uh, brings what is back this, RJ. Your ace? <laughs> exactly. He, he's getting ready for uh, to file Social Security. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then you've got RJ Davis, and a, and a lot of the guys who contributed to last season being so disappointing at North Carolina are now gone. You bring in a whole new class of transfers. It's guys who were hungry at their previous stops, didn't necessarily have a ton of winning. So those are the other teams that I look at as probably being Duke's primary challengers. But, um, you know, Duke certainly still, I think, is in a class above those two, at least going into the season. You mentioned, too, the turnover at Carolina. And that's a lot of turnover for a team that's still universally getting picked to, you know, in the top 20 nationally. Which of the newcomers, these transfers and one of them, at least, is 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 within the conference, uh, Cormac Ryan. Which of these guys do you think are going to be the ones to make a difference at, at Carolina? Yeah, I think there's two who stand above from the rest. Uh, and one of them is the guy you just mentioned, Cormac Ryan, coming from Notre Dame. So part of the reason why North Carolina became the first number one preseason team since the tournament expanded to miss the field altogether was because they couldn't shoot the ball, couldn't pass the ball. Uh, finished second worst in North Carolina history last year in three-point shooting and worst in assists since that became a registered stat. So in comes a guy who's been a three-time captain. Isn't that crazy? That, that's Isn't that nice. yeah. yeah. So in comes a guy in Cormac Ryan who has been a captain for three years, who shoots 35% or better. A couple of years ago, he shot above 40% for a Sweet 16 team, uh, can handle the ball. And again, he, he's even older than Armando Baca. He's 25 years old. Um, so I think that... It's a good, it's a, it's crazy. College basketball, these, they're, I mean, it's wild. And and you've also got, uh, I think, a guy who is going to be really, really interesting in Harrison Ingram, former McDonald's All-American, coming from Stanford, uh, was a guy who North Carolina recruited heavily out of high school. And if you look at Hubert Davis the last two years in the transfer portal, he hit a home run with Brady Manick at the four and not so much with Pete Nance last year from Northwestern. Ingram is going to play both the four and the three for them this year, but he's the next guy in that mold. And he's not the shooter that Brady Manick was. Think of him more like a point forward, but both of those guys are going to be starters and, and they're going to be big pieces for UNC. Yeah. Carolina doesn't have fifth year grad students. They got doctoral candidates. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, dudes. I mean, you know, people talk about turnover in college basketball and not being, no, no, not being able to know who the players are. North Look Carolina. at Carolina if you want to know who the players are. North Carolina is taking advantage of the COVID year. Let's just say that. Does Armando Baycott add to his game, or have we seen what kind of player he is, and he's just going to be more of that? 
which is, by the way, awesome at the college level. Right. I, I think we might see more from him defensively this year. So he, he's, he has been very intentional this offseason in saying that last year, coming off the national title run, uh, everybody saw, you know, he was basically like a, a – he was getting battered in the national championship game, ankle injuries, shoulder injuries. He's just totally banged up. And he said, I got so heavy last summer, I, I didn't necessarily take care of my body. I think the fact that he's leaner now will allow him to be a little bit – cover more area and drop coverage on defense. I think he'll be more of an asset in that regard than he has been in past years. But offensively, like you said, the, the guy kind of is what he is. You know, he's a conventional back-to-the-basket big. He, he called himself. He's, he's like, I'm a certified garbage man last year. Um, <laughs> and, and that's not a bad thing. That's what North Carolina needs him to be. They need him to dominate the low post. They need him to get offensive rebounds. They need him to get defensive rebounds. And, and if he can offer a little bit of rim protection, that's gravy at this point. But um, even still, like you said, that's a guy who's probably good enough to challenge for all ACC and all American honors. Might come down to which team wins the league, right? Very possible. Very, very like possible. Miami, your player of the year might be uh, Norshad Omier. If it's Duke, it's probably going to be Filipowski. If it's Carolina, it's probably either Armando or R.J. Davis. Right. Okay. Uh, another team that's getting, I don't i don't want to say getting a lot of love because you know no one's picking them top three, but they are consistently coming in right after those three nationally ranked teams. And that's Virginia. And you're going to have to walk me through this, Brendan. Virginia has one returning player. And I know they had a few guys that contributed a little bit off the bench last year, but it wasn't like they had a sixth man of the year guy, right? So no. what do you see in Virginia? Do you agree with the fact, you know, with everybody else who's, you know, voting them fourth in the ACC preseason poll? Yeah, on my personal ballot, I had them fifth. Um, I had Clemson above Virginia personally. Um, we'll get to the Tigers in a minute. I think it's, you know, we'll see. Um, but for Clemson, for Virginia, it's, it's kind of, a, I'm in the same boat as you are. You know, I look at what Virginia is bringing back and re-speak when I think before he was injured last year and, and sort of played the second half of last season, a little bit hobbled. Mm -hmm. Before that, he looked like an all, you know, an all ACC guy. I mean, he looked like an NBA prospect two-way. He was shutting down the opponent's best perimeter player. Uh, he was carrying the offensive load. Like he was doing exactly what Tony Benning wanted him to do. And that sort of dropped off. I think he's going to have even more of an opportunity to do that now. Obviously we'll have to stay healthy, but after him, it's, it's a lot of guesswork. Isaac McNeely is an interesting piece. Ryan Dunn is another interesting piece, you know, a budding Deandre Hunter clone, if you will. Um, but it's a lot of speculation and it's a lot of projection. And so, you know, we, we were talking about this a little off the air. I think this year is as this vote in having Virginia fourth is as much of a vote of confidence in Tony Bennett, maybe as we've seen since he's been in Charlottesville. Um, and for him, I would say it's all since, since Virginia became the Virginia that we are used to it being now, this is the most uncertainty we've had about a Virginia team easily in over what, eight, eight years or so. Yeah. And there's a bunch of writers and broadcasters in that poll who are sick of like voting Virginia fifth and seeing them win the league. <laughs> And they're like, I'm not going to let Tony Bennett do that to me again. So I'm going to vote him as high as possible. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that you look at some of the pieces they brought in. I think they are interesting. Um, McNeely is the guy to me who I think offensively can really be a nice compliment to Reese Beekman. You know, his three-point proficiency at times, you know, his release is crazy quick. Um, and, you know, and the fact that last year he was the guy who was supposed to redshirt at, 
and ended up actually just sort of cracking his way into the rotation. And instead the guy who red shirts ends up transferring this offseason to Creighton. So I, I think that McNeely can be an interesting compliment, but there's a lot of opportunity up for grabs. Let me put it that way. Okay. And you said, actually you had Clemson fourth on your ballot. So let's talk about the Tigers. Obviously PJ Hall is a potential all, you know, first team, all conference guy. I think he was on the preseason team. Um, you know, he is a fantastic player. They got their point guard back, Chase Hunter. They do lose Hunter Tyson, who I thought was outstanding. He was their best player last year. Totally agree. And some guy named Gerard has transferred in. You know a little bit about that guy? I know a little bit about that guy. I, I know he had a cannon for an arm on the football field in high school. Yeah. And he also had a cannon for an arm from three-point range. In college. That's, so, that's true. Yeah, so it's interesting. And I saw where Blue Ribbon yearbook, which, I, you know, I love Blue Ribbon, they actually had Clemson's backcourt of, of Hunter and Gerard, I think listed as the third best backcourt in the league, which is saying something. It is saying something. And I think there is potential for Clemson to be that good. Um, you know, obviously the conversation with the Tigers starts with PJ Hall, like you said, um, who to me is perennially underrated. I mean, I know he had some injuries coming back at the start of last year, but the dude, the dude just scores. He does a little bit of everything. He can rebound the ball. Um, obviously Gerard is going to have the three point gravity that, you know, I, I agree with you. I thought Hunter Tyson was Clemson's best player last year. There's a reason he's cracking the Denver nuggets rotation right now. Um, which is wild to think, but I, I think that I do think that backcourt has a lot, ha, has the potential, you know, top three feels high when you just say it like that, like, Oh, is Clemson really going to have a top three AC back? They might, those guys, those guys are experienced. Those guys have proven production. And I think especially bringing in Gerard, it's not just a three-point gravity, it's the experience. You know, Clemson is an older team. Um, they bring in Jack Clark from NC State, another guy who's been around the block a little bit. Um, they, Alex Hemingway is back again. Like they, they have guys who have been there before. And I think Joe sort of contributes to that. So the one thing I think that maybe could get in Clemson's way early, it sounds like they've had some injuries. Um, Jack Clark has continued to struggle with a hamstring injury that hamstrung him no pun intended at NC state last year. A um, couple of guys have sprained some ankles and things, but if healthy, I love Clemson's talent. I think this is it uh, when healthy, a slam dunk NCAA tournament team. You know, the one sad thing about Joe Girard going to Clemson is, is like the whole idea of, you know, the nickname logo Joe is kind of diminished because the logo at Clemson is so huge. I mean, you or I could make a shot from the tiger paw. The Tiger Paul is the top of the key. I mean, I, I kidded Joe about that. And he said, yeah, I know. I know. He goes, uh, Clemson and Florida State's logos really make it too easy. Well, you know, I, I think Joe just didn't want to get more adventures with his wardrobe. He said, I've, I've got all orange. I'm stuck. I'm sad. I don't need to rock the boat anymore. So, but I think, you know, I really think that for all of the interleague transfers, and there's a good amount of them this year, I think we're at end of the year, I think Joe's going to be right up there as, as one of the most impactful. All right, I want to bring you to another team of interest to this podcast. And they have a good backcourt too, I think. But it's different than Clemson. Syracuse, Judah Mintz, J.J. Starling. I think they're two outstanding players. They're both highly rated recruits. But as opposed to Clemson, which has two fifth-year guys, these guys are sophomores. Right. So what do you think of Syracuse? And let's start with that backcourt of Mintz and Starling. Yeah, I, I mean, I think stylistically it's different as well. You know, I think you look at Joe, you look at Chase Hunter, like those are guys who can bomb it from deep. And, you know, Judah Mintz and, and J.J. Starling are both best when they're attacking mm -hmm. um, and being aggressive. And so, you know, there's I, I'm 
how I can't imagine how many stories you've written about Syracuse's defense coming up this season. Um, to me, just you know, a few. how many hands? How many hands do you have? Um, <laughs> to me, I think the offense is almost going to be just as intriguing because to get those guys downhill, that that to me is where they're at their best. Obviously, one of the reasons Judah came back is to try and improve his shot to prove that he can carry a little more of that gravity. You know, looking towards the next level. Um, but you got to get those guys going at the hoop. I mean, he, they're too fast and too athletic and too, and too good as slashers not to. So, you know, it's funny that we talked about, you know, Blue Ribbon having Joe Girard and Hunter as the top three backcourt. At Peach Jam, I remember talking to Adrian Autry and saying, you know, on paper, you got a pretty good backcourt. He's like, on paper, on paper. So, but, but I, you know, I think by the end of the, like, it's going to take some time to gel. It's going to take some time to grow. Um, especially with a first-year head coach. That's another ingredient Clemson's not dealing with. Right. End of the year, those guys, to me, are the engine of this team. Um, and, you know, I, again, I think there's enough talent here to, to be in that tournament conversation. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how Adrian makes the most of them because I do you, – you want them to have the three-point gravity, but you've also got to let them do what they do best. Yeah, I think – for Judah and, and JJ to have really good seasons, both need to improve their three-point shooting, not dramatically, just maybe from the, the 30% range where they both were last year to somewhere between 33 and 35. But then they're going to be reliant on guys like Justin Taylor and Chris Bell to make threes on the wings and open up the floor a little bit. If Chris Bell, Justin Taylor, maybe even Benny Williams can make threes, I all of a sudden, yeah, those guards are going to have some lanes to to drive to the basket so we'll, we'll see right. how the orange goes but you know we have to wait and see for them i i think it's the syracuse is one of the biggest wait and see teams in the league i agree with you i agree with you and i i will say i do think it helps having a seven foot four guy who can set some screens for you who can catch some lobs for you who can you know help you out a little bit so um the size will be beneficial as well but yeah benny williams uh, Malik, Chris, those are the guys who that three, I'm looking to see which of those three eight can can sort of make the next proverbial jump. You refer to seven foot four Florida State transfer Naheem McLeod. Uh, for anybody listening or watching the podcast, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, a little plug here, uh, go find the video that I did with Naheem at Syracuse's Media Day just to talk about how 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 daily life is for a guy who's seven foot four. And the best part was when the camera panned up and they hit my head and then kept panning up before they got to Naheem. I mean, I have never felt so small in my life. And when yeah. we compared hand size. <laughs> Two of yours was one of his almost, I'm sure. I mean, they used to say of Michael Jordan that he had frying pan hands. Naheem McLeod unbelievable he makes the basketball look like a grapefruit he really does and he's yeah. a tremendously funny and outgoing guy uh he has really kind of in incorporated himself into the team's fabric uh they love it so that's great i guess for team chemistry so yeah and i think he's i think he's a good player and again the size is you can't teach that like it can't it can't not be an asset so so from here, and I think Syracuse is part of this group I'm about to reference. After you get past the first three or four teams in the league, and maybe for you it's five because we'll put Clemson and Virginia there, I think there is a cluster of teams. You know, whether it's Wake Forest or Virginia Tech or NC State and Syracuse and maybe even Pittsburgh's in there, and I don't know who all else, but there's probably a bunch of teams there who 
think on a good day, we can finish fourth. But they're also in the back of their head thinking to themselves, God, I hope we don't finish 11th. Out of that group, who do you like? Well, I, I agree with you that there is a cluster. That's the word. Um, and I think that, you know, those are the teams we're talking about where it could go either way. But to me, the one who has the most high-end potential, if everything comes together, is Wake Forest. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just like Tony Bennett is earning, you know, our vote of faith based on what he's done in the past, um, I think Hunter Salas is got, getting some preseason love because of what Steve Forbes has done the past two years with transfer portal guards. Yeah. Appleby, you know. Alondis Williams two years ago. I mean, he, he brings in guys who are like basically ACC player of the years or player of the year candidates. So. Right. And this one, I would argue, is probably the most naturally gifted. This is a former five-star kid. This is one who has size, has athleticism, like – you know, and, and in Wake Forest's recent scrimmage with Alabama, he was sensational, sensational. So I think that, you know, Salas comes in. I think that he has an opportunity to make a real splash. Uh, Cam Hildreth is back. I think he's sort of a veteran savvy guy. But the one to me who, who is really the ceiling changer, and we'll see if he gets a two-time waiver for eligibility, is Efton Reed. Right. You know, at ACC Media Day, Steve Forbes said, with Efton Reed, we're a tournament team. We can be without him. But with him, we are a tournament team. Uh, again, another five-star guy, but you wait to see, is he going to be able to play? And I, I think what's interesting about this situation is he's a captain. You bring in a transfer, he's already a captain. And you don't know if he's even going to be able to play. So maybe that's part of the stick. Um, but I think that if he is allowed to play, you put a, a legitimate back-to-the-basket big man, somebody who can compete with those bigs we just talked about, can compete with a Norchad Omie, a Baycott, a Filipowski. He's a guy who can, can, can at least hold his own there. And then you surround him with Salas and Hildreth, a savvy guard. Damari Monsanto, who's one of the better three-point shooters in the league, should be coming back around December, January time. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to like about Wake Forest. And also, I, I think that Steve Forbes, he's been right there. You know, He's been knocking on the NCAA tournament door. So – uh, I would selfishly like to see him get in because I think that he's done a great job in turning that program around. And I think the ACC better when Wake Forest is good. And if Efton Reed can play, I think this is the year that, that Forbes cracks his tournament bubble. I agree with you on Wake Forest. And especially if Efton Reed is, is granted eligibility, we'll see how that goes. The NCAA has been a little weird about that. Sometimes they don't grant it right away. And as we saw with North Carolina's wide receiver in football, Tez Walker, and all of a sudden, like a month into the season, uh, we change our mind. Um, so I hope they don't do that to the kid. I, I hope he's either in or out and just be done with it. And if he has to sit down and take a red shirt year, so be it. But I also like Virginia Tech. And I know they lost Grant Basile. And I and they, my favorite player, uh, at Virginia Tech the past few years has been Justin Mutz. Yeah, you were smiling before I even said the name. I love I him. I love the way love, he played. Yes. Love Justin Mutz. Um, but Hunter Couture, Sean Padula, uh, you know, they got some guys that know how to play. And and, and I, and I kind of put Steve Forbes and Mike Young in together there as coaches who, you know, have coached at other levels before they got to their current position. You know, they wanted either East Tennessee State or Wofford or wherever. And they these guys know how to put together a club and then get them to work. And I'm I'm not going to discount a Virginia Tech team under Mike Young. I mean he's he's good. 
He's really good. I think he's probably one of the more underrated coaches in the league. And if you took out that bad stretch they had last year, December, January, you take out that bad stretch. Like they looked like a tournament team too. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Couture is back. Dealt with some injuries last year. Padula is back. He's now had a year where he's actually running the ship. You know, last year he was kind of thrown into trial by fire and I think probably wound up having a larger role in the offense than maybe he deserved last year. Um, the other guy who I think is interesting is Tyler Nickel, former UNC transfer, the all-time leading Virginia high school scorer, um, comes in to a motion offense where he's going to have opportunities on the wing. I, I think he's really going to surprise people. Of all of North Carolina's you know exodus transfers this offseason, I would argue that people were as upset about Nickel as anybody else because when he played, he was a lights-out shooter. Um, and Mike Young, as we know, is, is going to scheme him up and get him looks. So I, I agree with you 100% on the Virginia Tech analysis. They're also in that bubble to me. I do think that they might struggle on the interior a little. You lose Mutz, you lose Basile. You know, I think what Mutz did, like every team in the, in the nation could have used a Justin Mutz. Um, so that's, that's a bigger loss than I think some people are, are considering. But with that perimeter talent, you're always going to have the potential to be in games. And I think that Mike Young is too good a coach to let that talent just sort of waste away. Sure. And also the the castle is just a tough place to play. I mean, I tell Syracuse fans all the time, if you can get out and get get on the road for one or two games, you do it. And one place you have to hit that may not be at the top on, of your radar is Virginia Tech's castle. And because it's just different. The whole wall enter Sandman, you know, it feels like you're about to fall onto the floor when you're up there. Uh, it's, it's a, it definitely, again, like everybody talks about, Oh, I want to go to the Dino. Oh, I want to go to the Smith center. I want to go to the dome. Yeah, of course you do. But like yeah. the castle, John Paul Jones arena, like Virginia got some sneaky, really good stadiums. <laughs> yeah. Virginia does. And that, yeah. Their arena has got all the bells and whistles. It's awesome. Uh, the castle, it's like, you actually feel like you're like walking into an old armory. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, right there in the shadow of lane stadium, yeah. um, which is all I, you know, I like getting to sort of see the two for one at least, but that is, it is a good road trip. I highly, highly recommend. Uh, okay. Last part here. Let's skip down three teams in the ACC last year had brutal seasons, Notre Dame, Louisville, Florida state. Which of those teams do you think are going to have a real bounce back year? And which of the ones do you think might have another year of struggle ahead of them? Uh, not to beat a dead horse, um, but Louisville's showing against Kentucky Wesleyan Division II exhibition um, and the subsequent pest conference from Kenny Payne do not exactly inspire a lot of confidence from me. Hmm. Um I think that they brought in talent, Sky Clark, Trey White. Um, you know, they have they have brought in some guys, Dennis Evans, top 25 center, seven foot one. Like, like they've got some pieces there, had Trenton Flowers, but I think he really would have helped them as well. Um, but I just don't foresee a bounce back there. Um, okay. And, you know, fairly or not, I think Kenny Payne is probably coaching for his job this season. Good. Um, Year two. Louisville has too many resources to ever be this bad to ever, ever in an era where players can capitalize on their name, image, and likeness 
in a town that absolutely loves its college basketball program, where it is the de facto major sport, the de facto pro sport, right. for them to be as bad as they were last year is just unthinkable. Um, Notre Dame, I, I really like the Micah Shrewsbury higher, yeah. but the, the Fighting Irish don't have a single guy back who scored more than, I think, four points last year. Lost every single starter. Um, I, I, I hope Notre Dame fans understand this is a long-term rebuild. Because Shrewsbury has staying power like his predecessor does, I think. Yeah, I um, think so too. Yep. But it's going to be a rough first year. Florida State, to me, is the interesting one. Okay. I, I think that last year, Florida State had some bad luck. Had some injuries. Baba Miller was suspended. Um, you know, I, I was shocked. It was They were like, what, 0-8 to start last year? Like, just completely couldn't even get off the mat. But now you're talking about a team that has a lot of those guys back. Um, you know, Jalen Worley, I think is an interesting guy. I really liked his game. Baba Miller, like I said, is, you know, a draft caliber prospect, um, has some really interesting tools. You know, we'll see whether Primo Spears, again, sort of like we were talking with Efton Reed at Wake Forest is Primo Spears, who is a 16 point per game scorer last year. Is he going to get a, an eligibility waiver? If he does, I think that that has the potential to, you know, raise the ceiling here quite substantially. You know, to me, Florida State is the team that I feel least secure in my preseason prediction about. Like, that is the team that I feel like if they finished sixth or seventh, I wouldn't be shocked. If they finished 13th, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, so I really struggled slotting the Seminoles. I don't know about you, but that that's the one to me that I feel like does at least have some potential to bounce back. Yeah, I didn't know where to go with them. Because uh, I do believe they got, you know, if they avoid the injuries that they had last year and I can't imagine having as many injuries as you did two years in a row. Um, you know, and Leonard Hamilton usually puts together a good team and he gets his guys to play. And, but I still, I, I struggled with them. I, I think I wound up just bailing out at like 11 or 12 and I, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, that, that Florida state is the one that could finish much, much higher. And I'll be like, yep, sorry. Sorry, Leonard. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the, when they were having that run leading into the pandemic, you know, it oh. was their defense. Oh, it was incredible. The that fact was that a good that, team. That was a great team. The Trent Forest team, oh, they were so good. Um, but that those were defensive teams. Mm-hmm. You know, they were top 10 defensive units, and they were so long. They had, you know, nine guys, 6'6 six, six to 6'9, six, and they were all athletic, and they could all switch, and they just were miserable to play against. You couldn't get into any sets. And, you know, the defensive slippage has really been there. I think this team could potentially get back there, but also – has a little more offensive uh, intrigue to me, at least. So, you know, we'll see what Leonard does. Again, I'm not going to count against him, but they're the one I have, have the least confidence in. All right, let's get you out of here soon with a couple quick ones. Ready? Ready? All right. Rapid fire. Let's hit it. Not Duke. Which ACC team can make the Final Four? Miami. Miami. Uh, I really think Nigel Pack didn't get the shine that he deserved last year because of Isaiah Wong. Norchad might be the best rebounder in the ACC, even over Filipowski and Baycott. And again, the Wooga Poplar breakout is coming. I'm the conductor of this train. You're all welcome to hop on. I'm sure that you will be in the next several weeks, but get ready. Wooga Poplar is coming. If not Kyle Filipowski, who's your ACC player of the year? I think Armando Baycott. And this, this is something that I don't know if Syracuse fans realize or, or college basketball fans. For all that Armando Baycott has done in four years at UNC, he's the all-time leading rebounder. He's the all-time double-double leader, led them to the Final Four national title game, has six double-doubles, the only player ever to have six double-doubles in a single NCAA tournament. 
if the if Armando Baycott had left this offseason, his number would not be retired in North Carolina's Raptors. He has not earned that designation yet. So I think you have a guy who's particularly motivated, a guy who is going to have much more uh, of a larger role offensively. Um, he is basically the only post present they have. I think this might be the year that after all of the close calls, Armando Baycott finally gets that honor. What do you got to do to get your number up there? <laughs> ACC player of the year or, or be an all American or be, you know, the MOP of a tournament team. So um, two years ago, he was so close to so much of it. And um, I, I think there's some motivation there. Wow. Okay. F ACC freshman of the year. Is it somebody other than a dookie? I think it could be. I think that, you know, two, two other guys that I'm watching for are Elliot Cadeau at North Carolina, the reclassified five-star point guard. Um, we're not sure that he's going to start the season, but he is going to close the games uh, for North Carolina. He is probably the best passer that North Carolina's had since Kendall Marshall. I wouldn't be shocked if this guy averages six or seven assists a game. He is that special a passer. The other one that I think is interesting and not getting enough shine is Carlton Carrington at Pitt. Um, Four-star guy, you know, there's a lot, there's, there's a ton of opportunity there too, you know, losing so many guys that they did for their top five scores. There has been some early season buzz about him. So that's another name I'm keeping my eye on. All right. Well, this has got me excited about the start of the regular season, Brendan. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me and I'm excited to come up and, you know, freeze my buns off in Syracuse very soon. Well, we got snow already, pal. So, you know, come on up. We'll take care of you. Um, again, thank you for, uh, for coming on and talking. Uh, thanks to all the listeners out there as well. Thank you for supporting the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. Please support our sponsors, and we'll see you next time. For now, with Brendan Marks, I'm Mike Waters. Join us next time for the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, presented by Krauss Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for Syracuse Athletics.